Hello and what's this week's Sport Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Parkson and I'm here talking all things sport in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got Paul Whiteside from The Devil of Detail. Paul, uh, it was a wet weekend, but lots going on in the world of sport. Yeah, it was. I mean, it washed a bit of sport out, didn't it, this weekend? I don't think it stopped raining at all, did it? But uh, yeah, there's still plenty plenty going on and there'll still be plenty for us to, to get our teeth into. Yeah. Obviously, the Ashes at Old Trafford washed out, uh, drawn the match. The, Az- the Aussies retained the Ashes, um, obviously being in front 2-1. We want to play. Uh, disappointing, but can't do anything about weather. Yeah, no, it's disappointing that. It, it, it makes me wonder sometimes whether, you know, if they know if a full day gets abandoned, why can't they just play it sort of the next day when the mm. weather's a bit better? It, you know, it, I mean, if, if it's only half a day or, or it rains or whatever, you can't. But like a full day with no play at all. Surely they could do something there because it's a bit, bit of a damp ending, really, to the Ashes. You know, it's just just finished and and that's it, really. It's a bit of an anti climax, really. So I'm sure they could come up with something better than that. But no, disappointing for England, that. Yeah, and also the Open in Liverpool uh, suffered with the rain. Uh, Brian Harmon overcame an early wobble to stroll to the title uh, at Hoy Lake. Obviously, we're not big golf fans, but a bit of a surprise when you're looking at uh, the list of uh, golfers who were who were in the battle for him. Yeah, it sounds like he's done well. I don't really know a lot about him, to be honest. It's the first I've heard, and I didn't really follow it much at weekend. I was working down that neck of the woods on Saturday, and uh, the weather was absolutely atrocious, so uh, I bet they'd have suffered. There were plenty of uh, wet caddies walking around keeping the golfers dry under the umbrellas, that's for sure. Mm. Um, McElroy uh, suffered three successive birdies uh, but obviously bogeyed on the 10th and he wasn't able to to catch the leader but obviously golf there's some big names and he's one of them I'm sure he'll be looking to bounce him back in a few tournaments yeah I'm sure he will there's plenty more to go at this uh, this summer isn't there uh, I'm sure there'll be uh, there'll be plenty more for him to, to go for as a quality player isn't he but, uh, but no I'm sure it was a good tournament an exciting finish as well Mm. Uh, well, what we'll do, we'll talk uh, American football now. And James had an interview with Merrith Blackburn uh, from the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, he's here promoting American football. Uh, and this is what he had to say. Thank you very much for joining me today. It's deeply appreciated. You're out here with the Minnesota Vikings in the UK. And I believe you've been soaking in our culture. You've been to Wimbledon. You've been to F1. How have you found it all? Uh, it's been real eye-opening. Uh, you guys are real active here. Um feel like there's a lot going on in such a short time. We also went to the uh, wireless festival. So just knowing that all this is happening in so little time on a week that I came, uh, it's crazy. I also met uh, Gordon Ramsay at his restaurant. Uh, so that's real crazy to see as well. So That's incredible. You and obviously Gordon, pretty high level in your respective crafts. Did you try any of his food? What did he make you? Yeah, uh, we went to, I believe it was called Lucky Cat in all the food was crazy. We also went to one of his restaurants again last night and it was good again. So um, I, I, I guess the hype is real behind uh, his food. So That's fantastic. He's obviously one of the better chefs over here. It's been amazing. You've had a chance to eat his food. It's amazing. That you've been able to witness some of our sports, but you're over here with your side. And I believe your team is really, really embedded in trying to make this sport bigger in the UK. Most definitely. Um, we met with a few fans the other day and they said the same thing. You can tell the game is growing here. Um, so I'm sure more and more games will be played here. I believe it was uh, the Vikings play here last year. So um, I'm sure 
my teammates and, and myself are, are looking to play more and more games here. Fantastic. And you personally, you've obviously come from America where the sport is so big out there. What do you make of the growth you're seeing out here over the coming year? We're going to be having some big games in the UK. Would it excite you, the possibility of playing over here? Most definitely. Um, just speaking with the fans, you can tell how dedicated they are. Um, a lot of those guys also travel to the U.S. to, you know, watch us play. So it'll kind of be kind of be real good to, you know, kind of give them a break and, you know, kind of come right to their doorstep and play games for them. So. And you said you've met some of the U.K. fans. We're quite renowned, especially with the football or soccer, as you called it, our culture over here. We're very loud, very energetic. Have you received quite a lot of energy from the fans over here? Uh, yeah, um, a lot of Twitter DMs, uh, Instagram DMs and stuff like that. So. Fantastic. Obviously, you're a player who's very high quality, very highly rated. What did it mean to you to be drafted into the Vikings? Just based off the, the players voting um, of the organization, you can tell, um, I believe the Vikings were top five in a lot of the categories, which means they were a good organization to come to from our first team. And um, a lot of people that I talked to expressed that, um, just telling me I was in a real good situation coming in. Um, Coach O'Connell and his staff were a real good staff to be around. Um, and I could sense that off of my top 30 visits. So I was real happy to, you know, get drafted there. And then on top of that, they drafted my teammate as well from college. So, And what does the future hold with you? What do you want to achieve with this team? Um, you know, get potentially get the Vikings to Super Bowl as well. That's everybody's goal each year. Um, and, you know, kind of help my team in the best way as possible to win. So. And at some point in your career, do you foresee yourself winning the Super Bowl? Most definitely. Um, I talked to the staff before they drafted me and they were kind of asking my goals. And I was saying each year there's a rookie who wins the Super Bowl. So I feel like um, whoever they need to do it in the Vikings, if, if it's possible. So. And to get a little bit more background on you, obviously you've got this great story. You've made it to a very high level in the sport. How did your journey start and how did you make it to the point where you're at now? Um, I played football, I believe, started playing when I was five and a half or six, um, either of those ages. Um, and then I just kind of stayed into it. Um, my mom kept me in it, uh, my uncles as well. And then I have a lot of cousins who play as well. So just kind of come from a football family, I would say. And did you have any heroes growing up that inspired you to get to the level you're at now? Um, of course, I have my favorite players, but just closer to me, um, Devontae Adams is from my city. So he was a guy that you know, this our city kind of leaned on. And, you know, when he did it, um, slowly and slower, more guys, you know, kind of, started to get more recognition um, out of our little our little city. We didn't have much notoriety coming up, um, but I would say we're growing more and more. It's amazing to see you over here. I'd like to thank you so much for growing the game for all us NFL fans in the UK. What are you going to do with the rest of your time over here? Uh, so tomorrow we go to Wimbledon. Um, and then, you know, I leave tomorrow, but um, my teammate will stay. And I guess he goes to, he goes to visit one, um, one soccer club and then, uh, that'll be done with our time here. But for now, I'm looking forward to really getting the win with it. Absolutely. Well, I thank you so much for joining me today. It's deeply appreciated that you were able to give me some of your time. But before I let you go, is there anything that you would like to add that I perhaps haven't asked you about? Mm. I would say there's a lot in store for this upcoming season. Um, just getting to the team, I still feel like we have a lot to prove. So we're looking real forward to that. If that was Merif, uh Blackburn for the Minnesota Vikings talking NFL uh, football um, and obviously American football's growing this country, uh, playing at Wembley and attracting, attracting big crowds Yeah yeah, I don't know when, they've, uh, when they've, they've played it there and you know there's there's quite a few teams now in this country and people are getting involved in it but it is like an American sort of sport really isn't it but yeah it's something that could take off 
for me, it's, they have too many breaks in it for me, really. It doesn't really get going, does it? But uh, but no, it's a big event over there in America. And uh, when you see the size of some of the players, you'd think they'd, they'd make good rugby league players, players really, wouldn't you? Because there's some absolute beasts in there who play that sport. So, uh, so yeah, but it doesn't seem to work out that way, does it? But, uh, but yeah, a yeah, good sport. Yeah, talking about America, let's move on to soccer or football, as we call it. Manchester United were in action in a friendly against Arsenal in America, New Jersey. 82,000 people watched them beat Arsenal 2-0. Goals from Bruno Fernandes and Jadon Sancho uh, for Manchester United record the victory in a friendly. Yeah, you know, 82,000. It just shows you, you know, people are interested, aren't they, in, in Manchester United all over the world. And uh, that's that's a great crowd and a good win for United as well. You know, they, we don't really, really read a lot into friendlies, but they can give you a lot of confidence, can't they, going forward to the season? There's not long now, is it? I think next weekend is the is the charity shield, and um, then you've got the weekend after the season's going to kick off. So, uh, no, good to get a result, and, and that'll boost confidence and that. And I'm sure Eric Tanag will be pleased with that. Yeah. Bruno Fernandes, recently named as new captain of Manchester United, got on the score sheet. Jadon Sancho also scored for the Red Devils. So that's two positives moving forward for Ten Hag's men. Yeah, certainly, as I said, the season's around the corner now. So uh, he'll be working on, you know, where he wants to play people. He's got a new captain. So there's a lot of chopping and changing to be done, isn't there? And it's an ideal time in friendlies to to work on things and get his best 11 right for that when that league season starts. So uh, you know, there's nothing better than a win, whether it's a friendly or, or whatever it is. You know, you want to be winning matches, don't you? And that's a great start against a good Arsenal team. Yeah. Obviously, you know, looking at Jadon Sancho playing just behind the centre the centre forward these days, he normally plays, I think, on the left-hand side of the Man United's midfield, uh, sorry, forward three. But in uh, the new sort of system, he's playing just behind the, the striker. So, interesting to have him in a different position. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm sure Eric Ten Hag knows knows what he's doing and what he wants to create there and uh, it'll be interesting to see how they, they go at the start of the season. You would expect Manchester United to, to want to get a rip-roaring start, won't you, and really lay a marker down because if you don't, you can end up on the back foot straight away, can't you, and, and chasing it as they have done for the last couple of seasons, really. So you can get a good start, you know, get a few good wins under their belt and this new system, it could be, uh, could be just what they need. Yeah, Ahmad Dillo uh, got injured. Uh, coming on in the second half, Paul, he's had a good spell at Sunderland last year. He was looking to break into uh, the United's first team, but injury in a friendly is not the greatest way to do that. No, not at all. You know, it's the same in any sport. That's the, you know, it's the worst, worst sort of case scenario, isn't it? You know, managers are trying to find their way and, and work on systems and tactics and sort of change things around and just have a look at the players and get the match fit and then you pick injuries up. So that's always the sort of the caution with, with friendly games really I think the first thing you could say to a manager about a friendly is that he'll say to you we just want to come through it unscathed and not pick any injuries up so uh, so that, no that's a real sort of negative blow that yeah and obviously in being America and all the razzmatazz they had a penalty shoot after the match which United won 5-3 uh, do you think that's a good idea obviously if, if that moves into to mainstream football that if let's say there's a friend uh, let's say there's a draw at the end of the 90 minutes they have a penalty shoot out to see who wins no I think a draw is a draw I mean like rugby league this weekend one of the matches went to golden point extra time and things like that and it 
know, it's a bit like a penalty shootout. That I mean, I still think it should be a draw and it should have gone to a replay because you've seen a cracking game between two teams. Neither team deserves to lose. So you do it all again and have a have a I know they'll say, Oh, we fit in the fixtures in, but no, that's part and parcel of the sport, isn't it? And a draw is, is part of football. So so no, I, I I'm not a big fan of penalties anyway. I think penalty shootout so it's a real lottery, isn't it? I mean, it's not the best side that wins there in a penalty shootout. It's just whoever holds the nerve for the, the actual fire penalty kick. So, no, I, I think penalties are good in small doses for me. You know, <laughs> every now and again, you know, in like a playoff game or on the World Cup or something, you won't want to see a penalty shootout every week. I think it'd drive you daft. Yeah. Um, also... Man United's current over at Avram Glazer was there watching Manchester United play. He had no comment regarding the potential takeover with uh, two potential investors looking to buy the club often. Obviously, with everything going in the Premier League and you know wanting to invest these uh, players, he needs to make a decision quick on whether he decides to keep the club or sell it on. Yeah, he does. It's like an ongoing saga now, isn't it, really? I mean, he's been going on all, all summer so far and you look, we're only sort of just over a week away from the new season and, and still nothing's settled. So, I mean, is that the, the right frame of mind to go into a new season with, with all this hanging over the club? I mean, I, I don't know whether it'll have effects and they shouldn't have an effect on the players, but it probably does because they, they're going into that work environment every day, aren't they, not knowing what's going on. So that sort of uncertainty can hang over a club. So you would have thought they'd have wanted to sort this out. And, you know, in the close season, it's the ideal opportunity. You've got a couple of months with no matches, get the sale done, get things sorted and, and move on. But uh, but no, it doesn't seem to be that way at the moment. It seems to be stalling. And could we see the Glazers, you know, staying there? I'm not so sure. They probably, they probably could. Mm. Talking about moving on, Alex Tellez has signed for Al Nazri. Uh, made 50 appearances for Man United for it's gone for an undisclosed fee. Another star moving to Saudi Arabia where the football there isn't top, top quality. But in recent weeks and months, the top players of European football have gone uh, to play there. Yeah, I mean, if the money's there, I mean, probably that might be attracting players, you know, to, to go over there. I'm not so sure whether I want to go and play me football over there. It's a bit warm over there to be playing football. Isn't it? <laughs> but, um, no, I think it's the way of the world at the moment. I mean, I think if you're a footballer and you, you want to do well, surely you want to play in the best leagues in the world, wouldn't you? No matter how much money you're getting. Because um, at the end of your career, what are you going to do? Tell your grandkids why oh, you earn so much money or are you going to show them the medals you won and the memories that you made? So, I'm not so sure... It don't sit well with me that, but perhaps this league will get better over there. But they won't. I don't think the standards brilliant, is it? No. Oh, Jordan Henderson, Liverpool uh, legend and captain. He's he might be on his way over there to play for Steven Gerrard's team. Uh, maybe current England international shows the caliber of player that they're attracting. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, it can't all be for the money, can it? It's probably a nice lifestyle over there, good weather uh, as well. But uh, but yeah. Money does talk sometimes, doesn't it? But it's something they're trying to grow at the moment. But that would be a surprise if you got someone like Jordan Henderson going over there. He's, like he said, is a, is a current international. That would be a big a big coup for them to, to take somebody like him. Mm. Talking about friendly fixtures, uh, Manchester United play Wrexham uh, on the 26th July. They play Real Madrid on the 27th of July and they play Borussia Dortmund on the 31st July. Obviously, big squad, different players turning out against different teams, getting fit for the start of the Premier League. 
Yeah, well, they've got a big squad, haven't they? And everybody needs to get a chance, don't they? Get themselves fit, ready for the start of the Premier League. So it's an ideal opportunity from what you're saying there. It sounds a busy week, that doesn't it? You know, Wrexham and, and Real Madrid, you know, you can't get two, <laughs> two sides further apart. Mind you, having said that, Wrexham have done great things, haven't they? They've been promoted to the Football League. They've been getting massive crowds, haven't they? About 10, 12,000, loads of, um, sort of hype surrounding them. So that'll be exciting for them to be playing uh, against Manchester United and then the Real Madrid as well. So, so yeah, th- these friendlies are great to, to get the squad ready, aren't they, for what is a long and taxing season. We've said that before, haven't we? The Premier League's a, the brutal season, really, isn't it? The, well, the British football season, it's, it's long, isn't it? Particularly United playing in Europe as well. Champions League, I mean, a lot of games there. So, you know, you need to have that stamina. So these friendlies are going to stand them in good stead. Yeah, I think like teams like United and City, the big teams use friendlies to jet set around the world, don't they? To the likes of America, Japan, to, to generate support, to generate money. You know, glory days, 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s, used to play local teams like Stockport and Bolton and things like that to, to generate a bit of wealth for them. And I think that's missing in football now. I think, yeah, it's great to go to America and and. and connect with your fans abroad but really there's clubs in the you know the first division and, and the second division that need uh, financial assistance and a friendly against Man United at their ground would make a whole different uh, reason to survive for them yeah it would and, and really you, you think Manchester United I mean they're a global entity anyway you probably don't really need to go trekking around the world because everybody knows who you are anyway um, so you, you think they would sort of play more local teams and, and spread that money and it doesn't seem to work like that though these days sport does it I mean it just seems to you know it'd be a business and, and the more money you can make the, the better there's no sort of sentiment in sport is there anymore or if there ever was so um, well I think there was there used to be didn't there but there doesn't seem to be a lot of it now these days so but no it make it makes sense that if they did sort of partnership up with some of the local sides because there's some sides in desperate need isn't it you've only got to look at like say Berry mm. who've, who've come back haven't they you know from the they're going to be playing back at Gig Lane I'm not I heard this story the other day I'm not like 100% sure what league they're going to be in but I think they're starting again and it's been great for their supporters because they've been in the wilderness haven't they, for three or four years you've got like some Oldham and Rochdale who've dropped out of the football league and gone into the the conference as well so these sort of teams probably need a bit of a leg up as well and a bit of a helping hand yeah let's move on to Manchester City um, they've been linked to RB Leipzig centre half Josco Guevario and they say that Man City and, and their evaluation of the player are miles apart uh, so they know that Man City will need to put their hand in their pockets to get their assets yeah, they know Manchester City have got that money as well, don't they? Um, I think when teams can sniff the pound signs and the, you know a big side comes calling who's got sackfuls of money, they can see that as a, as a, as a time to cash in, can't they? And, and why not as well? You know, you're going to take a club like that for all you can get, aren't you? And get as much out of them as you can. Um, it's up to it's, it's up to that team to see how far they'll push it. You know, they might push it too far and Manchester City will get, you know, cooled off and, and go and find another target somewhere else. So it's a, a dangerous game of sort of brinkmanship, if you like, to play. But you can't blame teams for doing that, really, because teams like City have got, you know, massive amounts of cash, haven't they? Mm. One departure for Manchester City. Uh, Rilad Mahrez uh, has gone to Saudi Arabia, £30 million. Um, didn't feature in the Champions League final. Um, good play for Man City. Um, 15 goals in 47 appearances. But there is, is rumour that he was upset that Guardiola didn't play in the Champions League and that is why he decided to move on. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I think he's probably the best for both parties, really. If you've got a player there who's unhappy, um, there's obviously been some sort of fallout with Pep Guardiola. There's no point in Manchester City keeping him. You know, if you're not going to play him, you just cash in on him as well and you've got £30 million for him and everyone's a winner, really, aren't they? So, uh, you know, these things happen in football sometimes. Things don't work out. The players fall out. The managers, they don't get picked. And, and you know, it's hard for managers to keep everybody happy. And you've got a big squad like that. You, you can't play all the players every week, can you? You only play 11 players. So, um, perhaps it's the best for both parties, that one. Mm, possible departure for Man City. Kyle Walker um, is rumoured to be joining Bayern Munich. Um, obviously, a Man City stalwart, uh, key to their defensive structure. Um, maybe he thinks there's a new challenge in Germany for him. Yeah, and, and on the other hand, perhaps he thinks his days at City are numbered. You don't know, you know, what Pep's plans are for him this season. Um, you know, to go to a team like Bayern Munich, that'd be. A, a good move as well, you know, Bayern are a good side, aren't they? A team that always does well in Europe and always there or thereabouts, aren't they, in the, in European competitions and in the in the Bundesliga as well. He might think it's a fresh challenge from very passionate supporters over there in Germany as well. I'm sure if he was to move over there, he'd have a great time and really enjoy it. Mm. Man City are in Japan uh, in their pre-season tour. They played Yokohama Marinos. Um, and won 5-3, they were 2-0 down after 8 minutes, but Haaland and Stones got on the score sheet and turned the turned the uh, the tables, but I suppose this early in the season in pre-season, it's not really about the results, it's just about staying fit and keeping fit and getting fit. Well, for City, it's about getting match fit, you've got the, uh, the, the charity shield, haven't you, the community shield I think on the 6th of August, it's a mm-hmm. Sunday, so that's, uh, uh, you know, next weekend now, isn't it? So that's coming thick and fast. I mean, I know people say it's a glorified friendly that these days, but still another trophy. But then they've got a real tough start to the season. You're way at Burnley on the Friday night, haven't they? So that's, uh, you know, you'd expect Manchester City to win. I think Burnley are 9-1 to one to win that game. So everybody's expecting City to win. But, you know, Burnley under Vincent Company, they're going to raise the game out. It's a tough place to go. Turf Moor will be absolutely bouncing. Um, so that's that's a potential banana skin so if you're not switched on you've not got yourselves match fit and you've not worked through your friendlies you could get turned over in that game so Manchester City you know I'm sure they'll be using the the sort of charity shield game as um, you know as a yardstick for that premiership match mm. Man City play Bayern Munich on the 26th of July and they play Atletico Madrid on the 30th just like United you know getting these friendlies close together trying to get the squad fit yeah, they're certainly jet-setting, aren't they? Our two <laughs> Manchester, Manchester clubs all over the place, aren't they, at the moment, playing everybody, everybody under the sun. So, But it's got to be done. Like you said, they've, they've both got massive squads. I wouldn't like to say how many players are in Manchester United and Manchester City squads, you know, that they can pick from. I bet there's a I bet there's 40 or 50 players, isn't there, there or something? And perhaps I've, I've over-egged it a bit there, but I bet there's plenty of players to choose from. So you've got to keep those players fit and, and, and get them match fit as well. There's a difference between fit, you know, Doing all the doggies and running about what they're doing in the in the preseason. If they still do that sort of thing, probably don't do that anymore. Do they? Mm. <laughs> do a bit more sort of technical stuff now. But but you know what I mean. Don't you? There's a world of difference between being being able to run all day and be fit, and to actually be playing football and, and being match fit, isn't there? So so I'm sure they've got to do that over the next uh, week or so. Yeah. Um... Premier League news, Newcastle United have been busy. They've have signed Harvey Barnes from Leicester City for £38 million. Once for England, he's 25 years old. He signed a five-year contract with Newcastle. Obviously, they think that he could be the next big thing in the Premier League. Yeah, he's certainly got a lot of potential, hasn't he? And Newcastle, 
are a club of a lot of potential. They did really well last season. They had a good finish up the table. Became a, a real feel-good story of the season, didn't they? Started playing some good football. They've got massive support up there on uh, on Tyneside. And uh, he's an exciting player. I think what they've signed there in, in Barnes is a, is a player that's got a point to prove and a player that's up and coming, that, you know, is ambitious. And for me, that that's a, the mark of a good signing. Like you don't want to be signing players at the back end of their career, you know, players that have done it all. You want hungry young players who, who want to prove a point and want to do well. You said there's a one England cap, so he's an up and coming player, and I think he'll he'll be an exciting signing for them. Yeah. Newcastle finished fourth in the Premier League and uh, will play in the Champions League for the first time since 2003-2004. They've signed a couple of players um, so far. Uh, An Italian international, Sandro Tallini, um, he's one of the catchers who've come in. Obviously, they're building a squad to compete on all fronts. Yeah, they certainly are. And they're going to need a big squad, aren't they? You know, we said before, the amount of games that you have to play and the Champions League is tough as well, isn't it? So that'll, that'll probably be a... Be a shock to the system playing back in that after uh, you know twenty years or so, um, but uh, but no, I expect Newcastle to do well. They, I think they're on a bit of an upward curve, aren't they? They've got new owners and sort of a lot of ambition there, and and they've got that feel good factor back up there, haven't they? You know, and it's um, you, they build a lot of momentum up there in Newcastle. They're a one sort of city team, aren't they? You know, we've been up there watching the rugby league and got a ground right in the centre of the city. Everybody gets behind the the, the, the team. It's a bit like it's a bit of a daft comparison, but. I work around Burnley a lot and everybody in Burnley seems to support Burnley. You mm, go around, yeah. they all have the shirts on. The, the local taxi firms, Claret and uh, Blue, everything's Claret and Blue. You know, the old car wash there, the, the corner shop, everything is those, those colours. And Newcastle's a bit like that, you know, on a bigger scale, obviously. Uh, it's a bigger place and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure they'll do well again this season. They've got a good manager as well uh, and it's Eddie Howe there, I think the manager. Mm-hmm. He's, he's been around, he's served his apprenticeship, had a couple of spells at Bournemouth and he seems to be enjoying it. I mean, when he's got that Newcastle job, you thought perhaps it's going to be a bit of a step too far for him because it's such a goldfish bowl up there and nobody's really done the business up there. Have they? It's a bit of a poison chalice, but I think he's took it with both arms and he's got a good culture there now. Seems to be building a good culture and uh, you know I think that's what it's all about. You get that and, and get that feel-good factor at the club. It's a nice blend to have that and uh, you know they could come up on the rails and do a good job. Yep. Uh, Wilfred Zaha is in talks with Galatasaray. Um, play, well, he's, he's coming from Crystal Palace. Had a stint at Manchester United as well. Um, good player. Um, Galatasaray are in in the Champions League this season, Paul. So he thinks there's an opportunity to play at the top level as he enters the uh, the twilight of his career. So he's only thirty, uh, but obviously, Tafava Sam catches up with everyone, doesn't it? Yeah, it certainly does. Yeah, only thirty. Yeah, it's been a good. I didn't realise he was that old, to be honest with you. But no, that's a it's a funny place to go and play football, really, isn't it? Over uh, for Galatasaray, you don't get many players from from this neck of the woods going over there, do you? But uh, you know, it's a it's a very passionate sort of league that they play in. You know, you watch some of the the, the games on the on the telly that they're involved in, and uh, you know they've got a real sort of partisan support there, haven't they? They're a big club as well, aren't they? So uh, and like you said, they're in Champions League, so. You know, that'd be exciting to see how that move goes for him. Mm. Played 458 games for Palace, scoring 90 goals. Um, joined Man United in 2013 before going back to Crystal Palace in 2015. So it will be interesting to see uh, whether he does go to Turkey or, or whether he uh, you know, stays at Palace or goes somewhere else. Uh, so it will be interesting over these transfers in, in the Premier League. There'll be lots of money in there in, in the sport. 
and uh, with only a couple of weeks left till the pre till the Premier League starts, Paul, uh, teams will want to get all their uh, ducks in a row and start off well. Yeah, when does the transfer window close? Will that be at the end of August? Yeah, they have a yeah. few weeks, don't they, in the yeah. um, in the season before it starts. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, that that will that. So teams will be looking at their targets now. Well, they're just going back to to Zaha there. What you mentioned that that's a lot of games he's played for Crystal Palace. I didn't realize mm-hmm. he played that many. Wow, that is that really is a good uh, record. You know, appearances there. He mustn't have had many injuries throughout his career. It sounds like he's played week in week out, doesn't it? It's a great uh, what four hundred matches. That's uh, yeah. Wow, that's that's a real stint. I do remember him coming to Manchester United. I didn't realize it was ten years ago though. But wow, four hundred matches for for any clubs. Uh, Real good uh, return. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to Salford City. They've been busy in the transfer market. market. Curtis Tilt has signed from Wigan on a two-year deal. 31 years old. Uh, defender uh, will add extra steel to that Salford defence. Yeah, certainly. And he's been playing at a higher level if he's come from, from Wigan. You know, they've just come down with him from the Championship, haven't they? So, have that extra bit of experience there to... Or bring to the table in the in League Two, and as we said before, it's a it's a tough league, isn't it? And Salford, you know, will be wanting to do well this season. You know, just missed out last year, didn't they? Uh, in the in the playoffs, did they get in the playoffs last season? Yeah, I think yeah. from memory serves me right. Being by Stockport County, I was going to say. Yeah, so they they weren't a million miles off last last season, but they'll be wanting to do well again this season and replicate that, and hopefully go one better and get themselves into uh, to League One. Mm. Matty Lund and Adrian Mapafa have signed new deals as well for the Amis. It's important that they keep the best players and continue to grow, um, you know, the squad. Because obviously, like you say, defeat against Stockport in the in the playoffs would have hurt, but they know what went wrong and now they fix it. Yeah, and it's going to be another tough season. There's no doubt about that. There's some good sides that have come up. I think Notts County and, and Wrexham have come up, haven't they? And they've both been flexing their muscles and spending the money, haven't they? So they've, they're sort of well-supported and got a bit of uh, cash behind them, particularly Wrexham anyway. So they're going to be, uh, you expect to be challenging for promotion. You've got Bradford in there and one or two other. Carlisle as well are one of the favourites. So you've got some big sides in that, that that league too. It should be an exciting season this this time around. And if you look one below in the conference, I think there's some uh, some derby fixtures in there. The likes of Halifax, Rochdale, Oldham team, a lot of local teams in there, Altrincham as well. So it should be interesting, the lower league football this season. Mm. Let's move on uh, to the boxing. Uh, Liam Smith and Chris Eubank have announced a rematch for the 2nd of September at the Manchester AO Arena. Are you excited about the clash? Yeah, well, it got postponed, didn't it, a few weeks ago? Uh, or last month, I think it was. And it had been highly anticipated. The first fight was a real good one. Liam Smith got that, that knockout. There's a bit of controversy in that. You know, Eubank sort of said he'd used his head and this, that and the other. So there's no love lost between those two. So it was a shame when that fight fell through. And there's one other, two other fights on the bill that fell through as well. The Mark Efron and um, Zach Chelly fight fell through due to injury. So the card still went, went ahead and there's some good fights on it. But I'm sure... The promoters will be wanting to, to stack this card as well because second of September they've got those two headlined. I'm sure there'll be some some good fighters coming on the undercard as well, and that'll be a good night that in Manchester. And it was a good fight last time. I went with James last time to the, the first fight, and you know considering Liam Smith's a, a scouser and, and a very proud one at that. The Manchester Ruin really took to him and got behind him, so it's a very strange atmosphere, really. So it's another fight, you know. 
the, the two styles of those two really match each other. Really, you know the way they both fight. It'll be a real gunslinger that one between those two. I don't, I don't think that'll go twelve rounds. I think you'll see another knockout in that. But whoever gets in there first, really, it should be another really tasty one though. Hmm. Who needs to win more? Well, I think they're both at that stage of their career. I'm pretty sure Liam Smith's 34, 33, 34, and, and so's uh, Chris Eubank Jr. So whoever loses that fight, it's probably going to be the end of the road, really. I mean, I think Liam Smith said that in the press last week, and you'd probably find it hard to say otherwise, really, because if, if Eubank's to lose it, where does he go from there? I know there's talk of him fighting Conor Ben, but that seems to be on the back burner at the moment. So whoever loses the fight, I think you know they're going to be looking at calling time on it, really. But... Um, regarding how it goes the fight I can't see there being much difference I think Liam Smith's a very durable man he's been in some massive fights all around the world uh, been a world champion um, and got a lot of experience as well he knows how to close a fight down knows how to win a fight Not, I, I, I just think he's got that little bit more quality than Chris Eubank Jr but having said that Chris Eubank Jr is an athlete real athlete and real tough man as well he's not frightened of going in the lion's den look he went to Cardiff and, and, and fought down there against uh, the Welshman whose name escapes me I can't remember what his name is now um, James will kill me hmm. but that was his last fight a few uh, before the Smith one and he went there and got the result Um What's his name? That world fighter. I always think with with boxing, when when fighters say, "Oh, you know, if I don't win this, I'll say I'm calling time on my career." Do you, yeah. that, do you think that's just to sell tickets, or do you think actual sort of boxers sit down and think, you know what, if I, if I don't win today, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore? Do you think that's it, or do you reckon it's just to sell more tickets? You reckon? Yeah, but that Welsh fighter I was thinking of was Liam Williams. <laughs> just couldn't remember that. No. um I don't. It's a funny mindset to have because if you go into a fight thinking this is going to be it, it's going to be a last one. It, it, it must be. It must be strange. I mean, I had my, my white collar last year. I remember my coach Brian. He says to me, "You're not going to do any more after this, are you?" And I couldn't go into it, even though this was just white collars. This is a totally lower level. I couldn't go into that with that much pressure on myself, thinking I'm going to finish if I lose, because it's like it's like the last sort of chance saloon, isn't it? Really, you, I don't think you can you can do that. Perhaps it is to sell tickets because. I don't see how you can go into a fight and think, God, I'll lose, this is it. We're going to do this again. I think that's a massive pressure to put on yourself. Um, but on the other hand, if you're at that stage of your career where your body's starting to break down a bit, you have to start thinking about your family. You've got a young family and you know, you're putting a lot of pressure on them by doing the, that sort of sport because, let's face it, it's a brutal sport. And you know that more punishment that you take over the years, you don't know what, how it's doing to you. So once you've lost that your speed and you your skills start going a bit. How are you just doing it then for the money? You've got Ricky Burns coming out of retirement. Oh, I don't think he actually retired, did he? But he's fighting Willie Lemon um, in a few weeks. And Willie's 43 and Ricky Burns is 40. So you've got two blokes there who've... I mean, Willie's not fought for about four or five years and he's coming back. So I, I don't know. Sometimes it... I think you've got to you've got to know when the time is right to call it a day, haven't you? Mm. So you think the, the boxers just know... They have a moment in the ring or, or in training where they think, no, not for me anymore. Yeah, I think I think a lot of them, if you listen to, to what they say or read the books about them, I think that they sort of lose the the love for it, don't they? I mean, for, to do something like that, you've got to enjoy being smashed about and, and being hurt. And I think once you, you lose that, that sort of buzz, and your body starts aching, your body will start telling you that it's, it's time to finish and I can't do it anymore. I think, I can't remember who it was I was, I was um, reading about, and it, who was it now? He said he'd gone running and 
I think he'd gone on a massive run in the rain and halfway through it, he turned back and walked home. I can't remember which boxer it was. It might have been Carl Froch. Hmm. And I think that's when he knew it was a time I'm not going to compete at the top level anymore because that hunger and that desire is gone. You're used to run all day. But then he just got to that point where, you know, why, why am I doing this? So I think I don't have to do it now. I've got a wife. I've got a couple of kids. I've got a nice house. I'm doing all right. I'm doing a bit of work for the television and things like that. What's the point in putting my body and my family through, you know, that? Because there is a risk in boxing, isn't there? There's a risk in combat sports. There's a risk in any sport. But if you don't need to do it anymore and you've not quite got that 100% hunger, I think then you know it's the time to hang your gloves up. Mm. Let's move on to ice hockey. And sad news has reached us. The ex-Manchester Storm forward Mike Hammond uh, has died in a car crash. Uh, he played for Great Britain, 37 years old. Uh, our thoughts are with his friends and family at this time. Yeah, that's very sad. That I mean, 37 years of age is, is absolutely nothing, is it? And, you know, real, real tragic tragic end, end to your life so uh, that, that's really sad and you know thoughts from from all of us at Salford Radio with him and his family yeah obviously Manchester Storm in pre-season uh, ready sort of building up for for the next season Paul they, they had a bit of a mixed uh, year last year um, I'm sure they'll be looking for better this year well I think they've had a mixed couple of years to be honest with you and we'll be going through the scores it's been up and down hasn't really no consistency and I think that's what one thing you need in sport don't you if you're going to challenge for trophies you can't be in and out you know one week and then you know, winning games a week after because you just your season just sort of plateaus out then, doesn't it? So I think that's what they'll be looking for a bit more consistency and uh, you know they can challenge again, can't they? Mm. And the positives as well down the storm shell is bigger crowds, more season tickets sold this year, uh, which will help the funds and help the the coppers behind the scenes because uh, obviously with ice hockey, you know it's all about generating cash to get the big players. Manchester Storm squad is quite small in comparison to the other players, other teams that they face. So the more fans that can get in the storm shelter and support them, the better. Yeah, certainly, certainly. And, you know, it's an entertaining night going down there, isn't it? I mean, it's not quite on the scale of the, the Manchester Arena, is it? But they're doing a good job and, and they're building slowly, aren't they? So uh, I'm sure they'll be there or thereabouts this season. Mm. Let's move on to Rugby League. And we'll start with Zofra Devils, Paul. Off the field, they're celebrating their 150th uh, year anniversary. They have produced a film uh, to celebrate that. Uh, excited to see all the memories and all the big points in our history being shown in this film. Yeah, yeah, I've not seen it yet. I'm sure it's uh, really good. We had the Willows memory one, didn't we, a few years ago, and that was an absolute belter. So I'm sure this will be the same. I'm sure it'll be a bit of a tearjerker and uh, one to watch, definitely. Yeah, the director uh, is called Michael Burke. He was involved in the Watershed final documentary and he spoke to me about his uh, film, uh, about Salford Red Devils and their 150-year uh, existence. And this is what he had to say. All right, Mike, welcome to the show. Big night for you on Saturday with your film premiere at Penalton College. Have you ever produced or directed a film before? Hi, Robert. Yeah, I've produced quite a few documentaries in the past. I've, about 2017, I produced and directed a the Rugby League's Water Splash documentary on BBC One, which was actually nominated for an RTS award, which was uh, I was pretty stoked about, and also was heavily involved in the Willows Memories film a couple of years ago. But the opportunity 
to to produce a film on on Salford's 150 years came up when we'd been on the the board of trustees at the foundation. I was asked if I could help out and uh, and, and produce the film there. So yeah, it's um, it's gone really well, and obviously a passion project as well to be involved in, which is, which is great. The secret behind a good film is a strong storyline. Salford Devil's history is rich. There's a lot to cover here, 150 years. Did you find it difficult to figure out what to include and what not to include? Obviously, the key with any sort of documentary is, is to do decent research and uh, and try and tell the story in in a, in a sort of concise but but thorough manner, which is always a, always a battle with 150 years history. You can't touch on everything, but just try to obviously pick out the key sort of landmarks, if you like, the, the key stories, which which I'm sure every Salford fan is aware of. Obviously, our, our great sort of run in the 60s and, and early 70s, even before that, the 30s, the 96 infamous Wigan game, and then the recent success. So yeah, there's been there's been ups and downs in that 150 years, but just try to narrate it a little bit differently to to Willow's memories as well. I didn't really want a voice in this one i just wanted uh, the fans the players personalities to tell the story which was a little bit harder to weave together and make sense if you like to, to, to flow naturally but i think i think we managed to achieve it yeah re- really pleased with the outcome to be honest how hard was it to get archive film and who was the most interesting person you spoke to in creating it in terms of what to include and, and, and not to include we're obviously heavily led by by what footage was available it, it's sort of a crying shame really not just for Salford but rugby league in general there doesn't seem to be much historical archive around so obviously the great team uh, in the 30s that went over to France unfortunately as far as far as I can see there's no moving pictures of that team I, I'd love I'd love to have seen seen that team in uh, in full flight but uh, yeah so we're, we're a little bit short of of sort of anything until sort of the the, the cup final in 38 really moving pictures wise there was obviously the, the sort of turn of the century uh, around 1901 the um, some archive there but yeah, we're heavily led by the archive and pictures available to, to the foundation. And then, yeah, some great interviews, great personalities. You know, we, we, we managed to get Tim Laffey, Callum Watkins, Paul Rowley from the current setup, Ian Blees and Paul King, who were great. Uh, John Wilkinson came down as well and, and gave a good hour to us. And it was it was fascinating insight from John and great to see him. He's, he's doing really well. And then a lot of the fans as well. Dennis Riley was very kind to let us use the dog and partridge for, for the filming, which looked fantastic in, in the backdrop there. I was helped by James Hoskin and um, and Paul Whiteside as well with, with a few bits of the archive and, and photos, etc. And John Blackburn obviously was instrumental as, as well as neil blackburn in terms of having the, the foresight to do the film and, and and stage the night and their input has been invaluable as well if there is somebody listening to this and considering coming down on saturday to watch the film uh, what makes it stand out uh, for you as a must watch for any Salford fan i'd obviously recommend everybody coming to, to watch the film who who likes Salford and, and and is passionate about about the club really i think it's it runs about 66 minutes there's plenty packed in there and the personalities the, the fans and the players tell the story of of charting back to to those early years and um yeah there's some nice anecdotes in there as well for, from various people stories that i've not heard before and yeah i think it's just uh, it, it's just great to reminisce and um, remind ourselves how great the club is really all sounds very exciting mike uh, good luck on saturday remind our listeners where they can get tickets and where it's being held yeah if anyone still wants um, to come to, come and watch it on saturday night it's it starts at seven o'clock 
at Pendleton College, uh, the Chris Eccleston Theatre. I think there's, there's drinks and snacks and the film will actually be, be premiered at 7.30. I think ticket sales are, are going pretty well. Um, John Blackburn's done a great job and, and Neil of, of pushing it there. If people still want tickets and if you've not got them, I'd, I'd, I'd advise it, obviously. John, just contact John Blackburn on 07762. 732-790-07762-732-790 and he'll sort, sort them out for you. There might be a small number of tickets available sort of on the door in the night and that's TBC but yeah, I'd recommend uh, anyone who's uh, who's free Saturday night and, and wants to watch a film about our great club and our great history, please, please get down there. That was Michael Burke talking to me about his film about Soul for the Devils. Very excited about it. Paul... Obviously, we can now obviously get it on the DVD. All you've got to do is contact the Sulphur Devils Foundation and they will help you get it. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, there was a showing at the weekend, wasn't there, at the college, I think it was, at the Pendleton College. Mm-hmm. And they had some ex-players down there. I think everybody had a good night to that. So, uh, yeah, and I've met Michael before. He, he does a great job, doesn't he, in his... You know his work, you know, producing, you know, content and, and videos. His work at BBC and that. So uh, he's an expert in his field, and you know, does some great stuff. That the the water splash finally we're talking about that that um, that documentary was absolutely fascinating. And that that was a real sort of uh, hairs on the the back of your neck moment. Watching that, it really was. So I, I think that I've not seen this this Salford one yet, but I'm expecting it to be absolutely brilliant. Yeah, so make set, make get that. Make sure you get down there and purchase that DVD. Um, it's uh, certainly a, a a great watch for any rugby league and Salford fan. So let's move on to the Challenge Cup, Paul. Semi final action this weekend. We'll start with Lee. They beat Sir Ellen's twelve points to ten on Saturday. Sir Ellen's are a top team, but Lee did a number of them. Now they're on the way to Wembley. They did, yeah. I mean, Sir Ellen's. You know, I don't think they bossed the first half, but I think they, they sort of edged it, didn't they, and had a, had a lead there. But Lee came home really well. I think they started the second half well, you know, um, really bullied St. Helens in the middle of the park. You know, the forwards really got on top of them in that first 10 or 15 minutes of the second half. They got themselves back on track, got back on level terms, and then got themselves in front with an excellent try as well. And, you know, St. Helens are like, they keep coming and coming, don't they? And I think Lee thought they were there, didn't they? Saints got a late try. And then Tommy Makinson to kick the goal to level the game. He missed it. So, you know, that was it then, wasn't it? There's was only a few seconds left and it was game over. So it went down to that kick. You know, Tommy's normally pretty reliable. It was a tough kick, but I think you've got to give Lee an awful lot of credit. I thought they played really well in that game. Showed, showed an awful lot of character. And, um, you know, this is the first Wembley final. Well, the first Challenge Cup final since 1971, so they've waited a long time to get back to, to Wembley for the Cup final, and I'm sure the, the the whole town will be closing down for the day while they get down to London. Yeah, obviously this season, with a rebrand to Lee Leopards, um, Derek Beaumont, you know, invested a lot of money in, into Lee and, and trying to rebuild that brand, and, you know, it's been fantastic. You know, it's been a real success off the field as well as on the field, and he's going to be looking at this Wembley appearance as the, the cherry on the cake. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people have had a bit of humble pie, really, because people were sort of slagging him off at the start of the season, saying the rebrand was ridiculous and and things like that. And I know we went there first game, and I I really enjoyed it. You know, Salford won as well, didn't we? The opening night of the season, and the whole event of it was all was marvelous. I thought they had fireworks going off and took my daughter, and she really enjoyed it. I mean, I know it was old buggers we we go for the match don't we but a lot of people now like the entertainment and I I was sort of blown away by it I thought it was a great atmosphere and I was really pleased for the club really pleased for Lee 
how, how they've done well this season. I mean, I wasn't pleased when they beat us last week, but when, when they're not playing Salford, they're a sort of a team I look out for, an old, old-fashioned old sort of club that's got an awful lot of history in the sport. And you've only got to look at the amount of players that, that, that come from the Wigan and Lee area, particularly the Lee area. They're a mm-hmm. conveyor belt of players because it's a rugby league area, rugby league town. So really pleased for them to get to Wembley. I think it's great that... I'm no, no sort of St. Helens hater, but you know they've been to a lot of finals, and it's about time another side won. And it was it was good to see a match where we weren't talking about the referee, you know, Robin Lee, and you know St. Helens have got there again. I think it was a good game, and and, and the better side won on the day, and they edged it. It was a cracking match to watch. Yeah, very exciting times. Lee a second in, I think, in the, in the Super League. Now in a final, could we looking at a Lee sort of double uh, at the end of the season? Well, this will be a test of the character now because, you know, they've got to a final. How do they go now in the league coming up this week? I'm not too sure they're playing, but this will be a test to see how they go now because they could really put the league on the back burner now and just go for the for the cup where you don't know it might have an effect on their season. But I don't know. I think the way they're playing, they're playing with so much confidence. They want to win every week, don't they? I mean, we saw that against Salford last week, you know, a week before the semi-final. So I don't think it's in their DNA to sort of chuck games now and you know and sit back and wait for Wembley I think they'll just keep going and they've done well this season because they've not had a lot of injuries either Lee as well they've been able to pick the same 13 more or less every week and that's been great for the coach Adrian Lamb he's, he's sort of got a settled side and you look at the team and, the, and there's some, some really good players in there and, and yet there's some players in there who probably aren't real household names but they're playing well and, and that's the good thing you know you've got players in there like I said Ed Chamberlain's playing in the back row probably playing some of the best rugby of his career so um, that, that's always dangerous. They remind me a bit of Salford from 2019. Mm. Only they've gone one better and, and, and got to a Challenge Cup final. We didn't that season. I think Hulk are knocked us out of the cup. But, you know, very similar to the way we were playing. You know, playing some really good rugby, really tough, good defence. And, um, no, good luck to them. Yeah. The other semi-final, Hull KR beat Wigan uh, 11-10 uh, with a golden point drop goal. Uh, Paul, obviously... We're going to a top team, Hawkingston Rovers, coming into this game as underdogs. Um, you know, drop the goal uh, and sends their thousands of fans delirious and on the way to Wembley. Smashing game, another absolutely brilliant game it was. And two, you had two semi-finals there where you know both both edge of the seat stuff. They both went down to the last second of the game as well, didn't they? So absolutely fantastic. I mean, Hawkingston Rovers they, they had to play against twelve men. You know, Wigan did it tough. They had uh, uh, Jake Shorrocks sent off. It was Joe, Joe Shorrocks or Jake Shorrocks, can't remember which one it is. He got sent off at the start of the second half, so they were, they were behind the eight ball a bit there. But all care, I mean, the support was absolutely fantastic. Watching that game on the telly, the noise that they were generating, what an incredible atmosphere that must have been. It was absolutely marvellous. And when they dropped that goal at the end, I think they just about edged the game. But another great result, another great match, great Great for the sport, you know. Great advert for the sport, and you've got two teams at the final there, Lee and Hulkingston Rovers, who were who were sort of big sides in the early eighties. Those two really weren't they? So it's like going back forty years, you know, seeing them two in a cup final. But I don't think they'll disappoint. I think you get a huge crowd. I think I've seen a few people on on Twitter saying that the crowd won't be very good, but I think it'll be a full house. I think it will. I think you'll get the whole town of Lee going. I think you get lots of neutrals going. Hulkingston Rovers will take an absolute shed load down with them as well. And it'll be a great game. You've got two sides there who are playing some cracking rugby. Mm. Is this the changing of the guard? Obviously, the likes of Wigan, St. Helens, Leeds and Warrington always appearing in the Challenge Cup. None of them 
in this season's one. Um, exciting times and gives hope to other teams, the likes of Salford and Castleford and teams that don't normally get to Wembley. Um, think that teams that are like you can get there now. So it gives everyone a bit of hope moving forward. Yeah, it certainly does. I think it's good for the sport, Rob. I mean, you'll get like people saying, oh, it would have been better if it had been a Wigan and Saints final. But I mean, who, who's heard of Wigan and St. Helens outside of the Rugby League Islands? You're going to have like Essex, London or whatever. They've never heard of Wigan and St. Helens. So I think it's great for the sport. I really do. And it puts the sport on the map a bit more, doesn't it? You know, having new teams there in the final. And, you know, it's exciting. You know, these supporters who don't often get to go to big finals. You know, league supporters not been to the Chinese Cup finals in 1971. It's 52 years ago. So let them have the moment in the sun. I think it's great for the sport. I mean, I don't know about changing the guard. I think possibly you might be right. I think this season, the Super League season, has been the closest closest season for, for donkey's years, hasn't it? I mean, look at the table now. It's still wide open. I mean, all right, Salford have dropped off a bit. But if we keep playing well, we can still get in that top four or five. It's going to be difficult for us, but we could do. And you've got Lee up there second in the table. So it's, it's anybody's at the moment. So it's so, so exciting. And you've got a Challenge Cup final there, which is going to be a real 50-50 one. I'll probably edge for Lee at the moment, but um, that's going to be a tough game for them. Mm. And with IMG looking to restructure the game, perfect example of, of how our sport is slowly transitioning into sport there that anyone can compete and anyone can win. Yeah, and I think it just shows you how important the Challenge Cup is. You know, a lot of emphasis these days is put on the Super League and, you know, Sky Sports and this, that and the other. But the Challenge Cup is the holy grail of rugby league. It's it's a magnificent trophy, esteemed in, in history and heritage of all the great finals, you know, Lance Todd Trophy winners and, and, and things like that. So it's it's massive for the sport. And I think these two semi-finals at the weekend really put the Challenge Cup back on the map. You know, how, how exciting is cup football? It's it's what we want to see, isn't it? And, uh, you know, the excitement of the draws, you know, the balls in the bag and, you know, hiding behind the couch when the draws on when your team comes out. That's what the Rugby League Challenge Cup is all about. And let's just hope that it gets the, the recognition it deserves in years to come. Yeah. Back to Super League action this weekend. Huddersfield placed, play Hull, uh, both at either end of the, the table. Both important. Need to win. Yeah, Huddersfield have, have, have won the last couple of games, haven't they? started to creep back up the table. Hull have found a bit of form as well, so they're just on the outskirts of the playoffs now, just behind Salford. So if Huddersfield are to win that, they're sneaking behind us as well. So that's a pivotal game. I think Huddersfield have got to win if they're to have any sort of mark on the playoffs. They can't afford to lose many more now. They've got to keep winning, haven't they? And, and they could do. They've got the squad to do it, but that'll be an interesting game, that. Yeah, Hull KR are at home to Castleford. Obviously, Hull KR fresh from their Challenge Cup semi-final win. Castleford down the bottom of Wakefield, scratching around looking for a win. Yeah, you might see Castleford getting a win there. It depends how Wilkinson Rovers have gone on this weekend after the match. You know, they might have all been out on the beer after the <laughs> game, so they might have had, had their eyes on other things. But you'd like to think they're a bit more professional than that. Castleford can't buy a win at the moment, but that's going to be a tough game for for Hull KR. You know, when you've won a big cup game like that. It is a bit of a come down, isn't it? So, uh, you know, coming back to league action. So, Cass are desperate, though. Desperate to get some points. Yeah, set Ellen's play Leeds. Obviously, smarting after their defeat this weekend to Lee. Yeah, they want to bounce back, won't they? Because they've, they've done well in the league over the last couple of months. So, um, they've, they've come come good and started to climb the table and look to, you know, look to form side with them. They had some great wins. So, they always seem to have a bit of trouble against Leeds, though, don't they? You know, Leeds beat them, I think, at... Um, at St. Helens a few a few weeks ago, didn't they? Or a few months ago or so. So Leeds are a funny side. I mean, they've had some 
some great wins this season, winning at Saints and Wigan, and then losing against Wakefield and, and Castleford. So you never know what quite what you're going to get with Leeds. Mm. Wigan play Lee, uh, another derby. Um, be interesting that one. Yeah, that what a massive game that one is. I think it's Saturday afternoon. Is it Sunday afternoon that yeah. one or Saturday afternoon? So uh, that's that's a big game that for Lee, and it's probably just the game they wanted. You know, after winning a cup semi final. You know, they're not going to uh, down tools for this one, are they? They're going to really want to uh, to beat Wigan. Wigan have got, you know, the disappointment of losing. So that's going to be a cracking derby match, that. Yeah, Wakefield are at home to Warrington. Wakefield looking for a win to get them off the bottom of the Super League. Well, that's a big game, that. That is a big game. Warrington are desperate as well. You know, they're in a real poor run of form, aren't they? There's a danger of them dropping out of the top six. A lot of pressure on coach Daryl Powell as well. Made a lot of signings this season. Won the first eight games and all sort of talking about winning the league and it's all fell apart for them, hasn't it, last month or so. So they need to go there and win, but that'll be a banana skin. You know, Wakefield played some decent rugby, especially at home, last few weeks. So uh, that could be a pivotal game for, for both clubs. Yeah, and uh, Salford travelled to the south of France to play the Catalan Dragons. Obviously, five defeats on the spin. Paul Rowley's men, with uh, a minute to go, need to uh, find a way to win. They do, they do. It's going to be pretty warm as well, isn't it? It's about 38 degrees in Perpignan at the moment, so it's going to be pretty warm over there. And Yeah, it's a cauldron place to go, but we went there last season and won by about 40 points, didn't we? So you never know what you're going to get with Catalan. They can be pretty unpredictable as well. Is it important that Paul Rowley's men beat Catalan? Yeah, I think we need to get a win, Rob. And I think if we were to get a win, I think you could catapult us through to the, the second half of the season and you could really come on with a wet sail. So it could be a massive win if we were to get it. Mm. 30 seconds to go. Swinton Lions are in action. They face Newcastle away. Um, tough fixture for them. It certainly is, yeah. Both got tough fixtures there. Newcastle have you know, been on the up a bit recently. Swinton, though, have been playing some good stuff as well and were unlucky against London last week. So, uh yeah, I think you could see two wins. I, I fancy Salford to get a result. Mm. Going to be exciting for all our teams. Big thanks for joining us on the Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. You can find us on Salford City Radio on a Tuesday and a Wednesday, talking all things sport in Salford. Big thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you soon for more Salford Sporting Chat. <laughs>